corporations join environmentalists to protect the ocean. That story and more on H2O Radio's Weekly News Report. I'm Jamie Sudler. I'm Franny Halperin, and it's This Week in Water. At the bottom of the world's oceans are vast amounts of rare earth elements like copper, nickel, and manganese that are in high demand for making batteries, not only for electric vehicles, but also to store solar and wind energy. The minerals are abundant, especially in a vast area between Hawaii and Mexico, and some companies have developed prototype robots that would scoop up the potato-sized rocks called nodules and pipe them to ships at the surface. But the process digs into the seafloor, stirring up sediment which might damage deep ocean ecosystems, harm fisheries, and disrupt nutrient and carbon cycles. Many scientists and organizations have objected, and recently several high-profile companies which could profit from the bounty agreed. Four major corporations, Google, BMW, Volvo, and Samsung, are supporting a halt in any mining until the potential harm can be studied. A spokesperson for BMW told the BBC that the mineral-rich nodules have grown over millions of years and fears anything done on the seabed could have irreversible consequences. Significant portions of the U.S. West are in serious drought. Snowpack measurements in much of the region are below average, portending lower runoff into streams and rivers, particularly because soils underneath are dry and will sop up much of the water as melting occurs. Making matters worse, there is new evidence that aridification of the U.S. West continues, meaning it's becoming warmer and drier. A new study from the U.S. Department of Agriculture shows that the length of time between rainstorms has become longer and annual rainfall has become less predictable. The amount of annual precipitation in the region has decreased by nearly half an inch over the last 50 years, and the longest dry periods between rain events has increased from 20 days to 32. A regular pattern of precipitation is needed to grow forage for livestock and for dryland farmers who rely solely on rainfall for their crops. Consistency is also necessary to mitigate the risk of wildfires. A different study shows that more snow is melting in the West before the traditional end of winter, which is not only bad news for skiers, but also for the millions of people who depend upon rivers flowing at the end of summer. The snowpack is like a reservoir, holding water that is released during the summer when it's needed. But research from the University of Colorado Boulder shows that since the late 1970s, snowmelt before April 1st has increased by an average of 3.5% per decade at many measuring stations. More snowmelt during the winter is effectively shifting the timing of water entering the system, which is a concern for resource managers. Wetter soils in the winter can lose their capacity to absorb spring rains and lead to flooding. The earlier snowmelt can also affect the release of nutrients into waterways, impacting water quality and potentially increasing CO2 emissions. Eelgrass is a type of seagrass that grows along coastlines in much of the northern hemisphere. Seagrass ecosystems sequester carbon and are vital in combating climate change. But to Angel Leon, the famous Spanish chef, eelgrass is the superfood of the future. Through his restaurant near the Bay of Cadiz in southwest Spain, he funded research to learn that the grains which grow at the base of the plants are rich in omega acids, high fiber, and contain 50% more protein than rice. He's used the grains in a variety of recipes, grinding them to make flour 
for bread and pasta and steeping them in flavors for paella. But seagrasses are disappearing around the globe from human activity and rising water temperatures. So, as The Guardian reports, Leon worked with researchers to launch a project in nearby salt marshes to see if they could cultivate eelgrass as a crop. A year and a half later, the plants had produced grains and the marsh was teeming with life from seahorses to scallops, all while capturing carbon 35 times faster than tropical rainforests. Leon says the average yield would be less than the same acreage of rice, but farming marine grains would be cheaper because it wouldn't require pesticides or fertilizers, just seawater. While it will likely be years before the grains become a staple at his restaurant, Leon is hopeful that his project will inspire others to adopt the plant, which would help boost seagrass ecosystems worldwide, feed the hungry, and fight the climate crisis. And finally, polyurethanes, a type of plastic, are nearly everywhere. In shoes, clothes, refrigerators, and possibly the chair you're sitting in right now. They're highly versatile materials, but they're anything but environmentally friendly, being made from crude oil, toxic to synthesize, and slow to break down. There have been several forays into making plant-based polyurethanes from corn, potatoes, or soybeans, but they have a high carbon footprint and are taking up land that could be used to grow food. Dr. Francesca Curtin of Memorial University of Newfoundland thinks the most sustainable plastic should be made from waste and be biodegradable. So when she learned that in the seafood industry, 40 to 60 percent of the catch, the heads, bones, skin, and guts gets discarded, she started brainstorming about how to use it and developed a fish-based plastic. Her stretchy bioplastic is made by extracting oil from leftover fish parts, and the material degrades in water. Curtin thinks it has potential to be used in packaging or fibers for clothing. She told H2O Radio that since presenting her fish plastic at a meeting of the American Chemical Society, businesses are starting to get in touch. One company was potentially interested in the material for making water filters, and another was a shoe manufacturer. And the company could have a great marketing angle. Soles of shoes made from filet of sole. That's it for This Week in Water. We'll catch you next time.